0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and as ever, this show is brought to you by the Athletic UK. Hope you're good and gearing up for Christmas. And in today's podcast, we're going to do a final word on the draw at Newcastle. Preview the Southampton game and do a bit of analysis on Fulham's summer transfers and where maybe Tony and his team need to look in January if Fulham are to strengthen things up. Uh, here today to talk all things FFC, as ever, is Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Fulham writer for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Hi,
2: guys. How are we doing?
1: Fine, thank you. Are we in the Christmas spirit, as much Christmas spirit as Tier 4 would allow?
2: Yeah, let's crack on with it now, right? Just like start drinking, drinking mince pies in the afternoons. <laughs>
1: I saw you went for a little like round of golf at the driving range yesterday, Jack. It's uh, nice and Christmassy.
2: I went to play golf um, and it was a bog. It, like Literally, uh, I was like, this is about the only thing that we can, they've got left to do. So I went out yesterday, got really excited, went up to Uxbridge, tried to play and it was like playing stuck in the mud. Um, <laughs> so, so there was that element. I think I'm probably going to have to put the clubs away for a little while because um, there, there wasn't much joy being had on the golf balls. let's put it that way
1: we still need to do our Fulhamish Invitational at some point in one summer it will happen it will happen it's been an idea that's been brewing for a long time and Peter uh, do you get to have any time off at Christmas or is there no rest for the wicked at Christmas time for a football journalist
3: I do have a bit of time off I do have a bit of time off I'm sort of dancing between the between the games so sort of half on then half off but you, you're never really fully off because anything can happen at any time so um but yeah yeah hopefully hopefully sometime but although it's, it doesn't seem like it's gonna be much of a fun one this year and unfortunately but um you know we'll make do this tv this this playstation there's stuff to do <laughs> make do <in> and <laughs> then <laughs>
1: And there is a few Fulham games, a small matter of a few Fulham games to uh, keep us entertained. Well, look, let's um, get the final words on the draw at Newcastle and we'll start off with some breaking news as we record this. It won't be probably breaking by the time you listen to this, but Joachim Anderson's suspension uh, has been overturned by the FA, so that means he can play against Southampton. Peter, I'll start with you. Um, The right decision and a little bit of retribution, but sadly, it doesn't get us those two points
0: back
3: quite a funny one actually the more you think about it the fact that it's been overturned because I think of of the the actual decision um you could probably have made a case for a red card probably stronger than than well in my opinion anyway than, than the penalty because if you give it for him tugging back on Wilson then you could probably give him a yellow and if he gets a second yellow and a red that's not getting overturned but because Graham Scott went to the the monitor and decided to give him a straight red card it's you know, opened it up for uh for um for an overturn which is which has happened, which is such a big boost for Fulham, um, especially for for the game on Boxing Day. You know, we've seen how Anderson's come in and done very well and just avoiding that disruption in the back line. I mean, of the four, I mean obviously Bobby Deckard Overread is coming and out on as that sort of right wing back, but with Orayna, with with Joachim Anderson, with Tosin Adrobayo and Auntie Robinson they've they've been really really stable so avoiding that sort of enforced change when otherwise you wouldn't wouldn't have made it I don't think um is a big boost to Scott Parker but yeah just even even you know I mean we can go over the the decision I think in the, the nuts and bolts of it but I guess the frustrating side of it is that clearly there's within that call it's you know there was so much it was very much on a fine line and you know, for me, it wasn't a penalty because the contact on on Wilson was marginal at best. It's not going to bring him down and he's dived fundamentally. Um, and they've, they've gone with the line that, um, at least what I was told was that because there was contact between the two feet on the line of the box, it's, it's a penalty kick. Um, and for me, it wasn't.
1: I mean, Jack, it's been a, a contentious weekend of, of refereeing decisions. Um, Wolves boss uh, Nuno Santo came out and uh, really criticised the referee in their defeat against Burnley. Obviously, that win means Fulham is back in the relegation zone. Um, there seems to be pretty unanimous feeling that Fulham were robbed at the weekend. And often on these things, you, you get two sides of debate. Some people say, no, I think it was a penalty. And barring maybe Jamie Rednap, I feel like everyone, even Newcastle fans, you know, in the light of day, have said, "Yeah, we we were really lucky to get a point there, and Fulham were really harshly done by."
2: Yeah, I think you know it's one of those things. I'm I'm rarely aggressively critical. Like you know, I thought the the Fabinho one on Cavaleiro was was pay maybe a penalty, but at the same time, you can see why that wasn't given. You know, you can understand the the logic on it. If the Wilson one. I just don't think there's there's almost any arguments you made that you know. Peter says it there. There was talk of the two feet clashing on the line. There's just no picture evidence that I can see that that happened. Um, and and when you look at it in that in that light, it makes it very tough to swallow. But ultimately, you know, it is what it is. I think 92 percent of people on Ref Watch the next day on Sky Sports had said it wasn't a penalty. So I think that's you know those are pretty overwhelming numbers, shall we say, for a wrong decision. And and look the. The the fact that they've re- re- taken away the red card is an admittance in some ways that that the justice was not meted out that it was not done and and that's kind of. <laughs> you know the end of it really isn't it it's it is what it is we have to move on from it it's nice to have your back for for the big game against Southampton and you know it's nice there to see uh, ex bournemouth writer Peter Ruster turning on Callum Wilson I uh, I enjoyed it immensely
1: <laughs> how the tides have turned a um, few questions have come in in the last few days and I, and I wanted to um, put them to, to both of you um, this was an interesting one related kind of to some of the penalty incidents this season um, Will Hutton emailed saying we've dropped six points this season from conceding a penalty when 1-0 up. Uh, Sheffield United, Liverpool and Newcastle. All of them had to be closely examined by VAR and all of them could easily have been overturned as given, except perhaps maybe Sheffield United. Are Fulham just not yet used to VAR given that it wasn't used in the championship last season? Personally, I think we'd be several points better off at the end of the year without it. And my instant thought when I saw this is actually, whilst yes, I don't think Anderson fouled Callum Wilson you wonder if if he was really used to VAR and I guess maybe he has used it before he wasn't in the championship last year you almost would have been better to let Wilson just go on and, and have a shot on goal I'd have, I'd have backed Ariola in, in the day of VAR you know a small shirt tug here or there a little you know clip of your foot towards his even if you don't make any contact is, is risking getting a penalty in this day and age sometimes you wonder if you think Peter actually go and have a shot Callum because I back Areola here, or definitely it's much less of a chance of you scoring from this position than from 12 yards from the spot.
3: I hadn't really considered that. I guess there's certainly a a change in the game dynamic, you know, in those kind of instances where it's almost instinct, isn't it? To, to then pull on the shirt to, to try and get away with that, with that foul. I think obviously with the Anderson one, I mean, if he, with the tug, I think the tug was kind of clear. And so say he wasn't given that straight red by Graham Scott, he's probably going to get a second yellow. So, you know, you can probably you could probably make a case to criticise a bit there, and in a way, Fulham sort of got round it. Although, of course, it, it means that they didn't get you know the, the rest of the game against Newcastle and you know dropping two points. Really, um, maybe I the the thing with the being used to it and stuff like that. I I don't know how you can you can sort of adapt. I'm just thinking back to to the to the penalties and um, was it the the Sheffield United one was was unfortunate. I, that one wouldn't have been given without VAR, but then I think obviously the one on against Newcastle would have been given regardless of VAR anyway because the referee pointed to the spot. Um, and, and same with the Liverpool one because it didn't need VAR to spot yeah, so, so they were That was more given, t- given by VAR. Um, what it does show though is is the fine margins that Fulham have been playing on at the moment, and at the moment they're just falling the wrong side of them. You know, the Sheffield United game should have been three points really um, when you consider that the Mitrovic also missed a penalty. Uh, Newcastle definitely should have been three points as well um, and the VAR's gone in Fulham's favour as well but they've not taken advantage if you remember Ademola Lookman's penalty against um, West Ham <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah I think I guess playing <laughs> playing better to the margins and putting yourself in a better position where you're not going to get caught out and um, being undone when you can't build in enough of a lead I mean when you look at the actual incident as a whole you know Fulham gave the ball away and he was Olerena quite high up the field it left them exposed um, obviously as I mentioned about Anderson. Tugging on the shirt. Maybe, as you say, just trusting your keeper a little bit. Let him go. He's a very clever player, Callum Wilson. He, he He's clever in all sorts of ways. And, you know, he's so, so important to Newcastle. I think we've seen that. And if they're going to stay up, it will be because of, you know, his guile and attack, really. Um, so, yeah, playing playing to those margins and making sure that Fulham are, are maximising them is, is the important thing. But then, the, 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 obviously, the positive to take is that Fulham are very close. But you know, very close isn't always going to be good enough. You've got to you've got to get over the line with these games.
2: Jack, your thoughts on on Will's point and, and Fulham being used to VAR? Um, I think Peter made made it sort of for me in that I was about to say that the decisions that have gone against us haven't been decisions that they've gone to the monitor on. I think that's maybe where I'm slightly starting to struggle with that. I, I don't necessarily disagree with the concept, but, you know, the the handball was given. The Fabinho foul wasn't given. The the, the Callum Wilson penalty was given all before VAR. And, and therefore, I struggle a little bit with the concept of it because I don't think we've had... Massive things where we've had something go our way, then the ref's gone to the monitor and checked, okay, I made the Sheffield United ones maybe the only one that you can look at and say that that officially changed the way of the game. But I also think that you look at those decisions being made and they've sort of been half given, half not throughout the course of the season. So I don't know if it's not being used to VAR or just the fact that maybe, you know, these in the new day and age, the, the referees are starting to give things slightly more or, or they're kind of more reticent to... And uh, not give it if because they get pulled up on it the other way, and so it's harder to reverse the decision in some ways. If if, if you know what I mean, but it yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. I, I kind of agree with the concept, but I think in Fulham's case, it's perhaps not massively true just yet.
1: Yeah. Uh, Another question that I've got here that I thought was really interesting one to raise on today's podcast was from uh, Matt Pollard on the uh, Fulhamish Kofi Backers group. And he said, are we dropping off significantly uh, in second halves of late? We took it to Liverpool in the first half, but felt like we were playing to protect the lead in the second half. Um, He said we were poor against Newcastle to start the second half and Brighton could easily have scored one, maybe two goals in the first 10 minutes of the second half. And looking at Fulham this season, three of our 13 goals, only three of our 13 goals, have come in the second period. One of those was a consolation against Crystal Palace. The other one was not quite a consolation against Everton, but certainly wasn't enough to get us back into the game. And and maybe the only goal of actual significance was Lookman's goal against Sheffield United in... um, in October. So as well as Fulham have played in in the last few weeks, we seem to be relying on our first half performances more than our second half. Maybe that's indicative, Peter, though, of the way that Parker likes Fulham to get the lead and and hold on and and that Fulham are very good at that.
3: Yeah, I always trot out that stat about how Fulham haven't lost a game, having taken the lead. It's like 29 games now, which is really impressive. But yeah, I think that kind of plays into it a bit. I also think um, game state, I think is how you call it, like the, the flow of the game really is important with that. And I think you, you sort of summarise it there, Sammy, where if you're in the lead, you're not going to be wanting to, and it's a narrow margin in itself, you're probably not wanting to to overexpose yourself. And I think maybe as Fulham growing confidence with, with each game, they may be more willing to push on and get the second. Now, I think against Newcastle, I, I feel like Fulham would would have done that. It wasn't a case that Newcastle were banging on the door when, when Joachim commanderson got sent off. I mean, that that just changed the game, really. Um, it sort of relates to what, you know, those comments by Mikel Arteta yesterday. There's a strange one about stats where I spent ages trying to read what he was on about. And he was talking about XG in a probability sort of way. It's, it was all very strange. But, you know, he was making the point that Arsenal should be winning games. But that doesn't necessarily tell the full story because... You know, if, if, say, when they play Tottenham, Tottenham established their two-goal lead, they're going to sit back on it and they may not have another shot in the game and then Arsenal will press and whatever and, you know, not do anything because they're not playing very well at the moment. Um, that So that doesn't really necessarily reflect how the, the team plays, if, if you see what I mean. It's, it's, it depends on the dynamic of how a game's going. And I guess, you know, the examples you get, like Everton, for example, shows that Fulham can come out in the second half. Um, Liverpool obviously was different because you had a narrow margin they probably could have done with the second goal. And Sheffield United, obviously, when when Adam Lallana scored, it, as you said. So, um, I think it's related, sort of, to the games. I think we've touched on Fulham's slow starts, both to games and to the second half. That's that seemed to be a strange pattern um, that has sort of faded. Although we saw it um, come up again against against Brighton, where they came out very, very strongly. Um, but again, I think it's all tied to, to 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 where the game is flowing. You know, if they do have their one 0 lead, and I think more more of the issue is getting that buffer. When they did get that buffer away at Leicester, they were able to hold out and, and see the game through and, and secure the three points. Um, so I think that's that's as much of an
2: issue as struggling when in, in, in second second halves as a whole. I, I'd, I'd add to this that we struggled to get out of the gate. You know, it's not necessarily second halves alone, although I do actually agree with this point. Um, you know, we struggled to get out of the gate in the first half of, of a lot of games as well. It's actually straight off the back of of any given whistle it appears that, that <laughs> Fulham start to struggle but i would i would kind of double down on this and i think that is it's a kind of weird throwback to the to the elements of Scott that we weren't always as hot on right it's the kind of holding on and look you've got to you've got to put this in context because there's an element of this that is the reason why we haven't lost a game when we've been ahead, right? There is, and that record continues to stand when Fulham go ahead in games we don't tend to lose. However, I think we've seen recently, especially in the Liverpool game, we came out and I I said it at the time, I said it again, we were absolutely unbelievable first half. And in the second half, I genuinely thought that Fulham were quite poor. Um, We defended well, yes, agreed. But at at the same time, Jordan Henderson had gone to centre back. It was a a midfield pairing playing at centre half and Fulham just didn't attack them at all pretty much. And and we sat back and started to let Liverpool come on to us, come on to us, come on to us. And it felt like an, an equaliser was inevitable. And I think this is a bit of a hangover of it's kind of like, get the job done, win 1-0. When actually, in those situations, Fulham should go for the jugular, I think, a little bit more. And I think we saw it again at Newcastle, even before the sending off the red card. We, you know, seemed to to withdraw a little bit, to let Newcastle back into it. And look, I appreciate that against a team like Liverpool... You know, you have elements of, OK, we're 1-0 up. We should try and see this out. But at the same time, I think you look at a team like Liverpool and think, right, they've got the players that are going to hurt us. 1-0 and letting them just bombard us for 45 minutes is increasingly unlikely to work as a, as a solution. Mm. And yes, it got Fulham a point. Um, but I just think that there was there was maybe more to be had of it, especially with how much joy and success we had. In the first half, um, and I think there was elements of this at Newcastle as well. We were like, right, we're one nil up now. We'll, we'll defend this and and take the points home. And and I think at some points it, it kind of came back to bite us. And yeah, I think we've been slow getting out of the gate. I don't think that helps. And in the Brighton game, you know, yes, their best opportunities came in that spell after halftime, but I would just like to see Fulham come out and, 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 you know, try and build on these leads when we have them, because it does one, it gives the defense a respite that, you know, and, and there's this old, it's the old adage, isn't it? The quote adage of when you're under the cost, you bring on an attacker to not, to keep to keep the things and 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 change it up and make them have something else to think about, so you're not just getting absolutely pinged every time the ball leaves the box, and and you'd like to think that Fulham would have a little bit more, you know, guts and guile to to say right, we've got one nil lead now, we'll we'll go toe to toe with anyone, we'll combat people and and actually you know take that ahead and, and and build on it. So maybe it's something you know a hangover from Scott's system from last season. It's maybe drilled into the idea that we haven't lost these games from being 1-0 up but I think there are games that we potentially could go for that we end up drawing and and we should maybe drill back into but you know I could also be wrong. The only thing I'd say is like I agree and in an
3: ideal world you'd have take the Liverpool game you'd have Fulham playing in the first in the second half exactly as they played in the first but I just like part of that potentially and and you know there's definitely a case to be made because we've seen a sort of pattern of it you know that that maybe either it's fitness or it's psychological. You know, maybe the psychology of the team changes, the mentality. Right, what are we doing? Are we have what we hold? Are we going to defend? Be defensive, or are we going to carry on pressing? And when, but again, it sort of relates to where the game is at. How you, how it changes your thinking. It, it becomes much harder to then go out and be proactive against a team like Liverpool yeah. when you're winning, and you know how valuable that is. And then the second point is that that is like it just sort of ties into the first in a way but you've got to bear in mind you know it's a game there's two sides and you know I mean especially when you're playing a team like Liverpool that they can go through the gears now of course Fulham played very well in the first half but Liverpool also played very poorly it was almost inevitable that they were going to come out and play a lot better than they did and they did Uh, they were much quicker with their pressing the the fullbacks were much much higher and that that did pin Fulham back quite a bit more I think there's also the sense of where Fulham are at in terms of their quality now we we can see that their Premier League quality and they're competitive and 100% 100% they'll be fighting to stay up and they have the quality, I think, to do that. But then this is also the, the Premier League and every team has that quality within them and not every game is going to be able to go the full, full 90 in a, in, a, in a way that involves the, the high pressing of a like of Liverpool who can dominate from start to finish. It'd be lovely if Fulham could do that. Um, but I just, it, I, I feel like there's a, almost a realism side to it. But um, that's not to detract from from the points you make there, Jack, because I, I do agree. I think, you know, the, the pattern suggests this is an issue and Fulham need to get better at not just being able to extend their leads, um, but also being able to tighten up when they do try and play like this, because you, it's costing them points at the moment. And those points would, if they'd have them on the board, they'd, they'd be outside the relegation zone.
2: In a bit of purely pragmatic sense, and kind of to add to this, if you go at both teams, say, right, and, and let's say you go at Liverpool again and you get picked off and you lose that game 2-1, um, but you go at Newcastle and you score again and you win that game 2-0, where a point, better off than we are right now and I I think there's you know an element of this that goes okay could you can you dig in against Liverpool and kick on against Newcastle and I don't know if the answer is yes because maybe the fact is that you drill into your style and you drill down into it but I think if you go for the jugular in both games you actually probably end up winning one of them even if not if not both and I think that in itself would have us on a higher points total than we're currently on.
3: I, I agree. I definitely agree with that. I, I I don't think Fulham necessarily sat back against Newcastle. I mean, that was sort of how I. F- I mean, you're right. they didn't have the same intensity. I mean, yeah, as no, dominance, right. I don't think. But I, I, you know, the red card really did change things, and it makes it harder to to really truly assess that. But that that you're absolutely right. You know, being able to do both is.
1: I- and also that the goal that Newcastle did score, that it was a counter attack because we were committing quite a lot of players forward and Olajina was very far forward and he made a poor choice and, and passed it straight to Shelby when it should have gone anywhere else on the entire pitch. But, you know, Fulham were going forward and there were slight victims of over committing really. Yes. OK, it was a dodgy penalty in the end, but we still put ourselves in a situation, didn't we?
2: I don't know if it's overcommitting. I, I to be honest, I think the, the, while your your point is valid and salient, I, I think there's a there's something to be said that you know when you when you look at playing these things that there is that's an, an individual error, and yes, you can you can you can't always you know, make up for them. But I think there, there are Fulham players around and there's a couple of missed tackles. There's a couple of individual areas there that, that allowed Newcastle to get away. And and I think that you can, you can push on and, and be dominant and try and look after possession without being reckless. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you just continue chuck everyone forward. But I just think that actually, if you look at what, and I, I haven't checked this stat, but I, I will do after this podcast. But I would imagine if you look at Fulham's shots in games over the last five games in first half as opposed to second half, I think you'll see a huge difference. And, and and, you know, I'll bang this drum forever, that if you shoot more and you have the ball more, you tend to win more games.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're right there, Jack. I mean, when you look at the XG, um, Fulham's first half XG from the last five games anyway, is 3.34 according to Opta. And then second half, it drops to 1.93, which is actually quite a, a sizable difference. I mean, that's just from the last five games. But um, it does sort of reflect that Fulham are performing better generally in first halves recently compared to second halves.
2: Yeah. Carving out more opportunities, taking more shots, scoring more goals. Um, And then that's kind of a a worry for me. I think we need to, it's something we we probably say address is probably a little bit harsh, but it is something I think that we'd be looking to look at.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. We're going to take a quick break. And afterwards, uh, we're going to look back at Fulham's summer transfers and then look ahead to what we might need to buy or sell in January. This is an advertisement for BetterHelp, a portal for finding online therapy. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you read more Fulham transfer rumours? whatever it is, one thing that many of us have in common is wishing that we had more time. And therapy can be a place to help you work through what matters to you, so you can have more time to do it. Therapy is great for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the very best version of yourself. It's not just for those who experience major trauma. And if that's something you're looking for, that's where BetterHelp can come in. BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. They'll match you with a UK mental health professional with a wide variety of expertise. There's no referral needed and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge giving you complete control over the whole experience and Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com Fulhamish that's betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish to get 10% off your first month. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. So on this podcast today, uh, we're going to preview Southampton in a little bit, but first I wanted to do a little bit of of a deep dive into Fulham's summer transfer activity and look back at how successful it was really because there's there was an awful lot of changes and I saw a good question again on the Fulhamish Kofi Backers Facebook group and uh, it's Scott Kellogg. He said, a random topic that's gnawed at me. Do you ever feel a little bit dirty rooting for the Premier League version of Fulham? Uh, club heroes like Joe Bryan and Tim Ream and even Kenny and Mitrovic get marginalised the moment we get up and we almost root for a brand new team. Only two or three players from last year typically start. We have an entirely new back four and goalkeeper. It's just an odd dynamic that these guys gave their hearts and soul into a brutal championship season only to achieve their ultimate goal and get cast aside. If we had lost to Brentford, these guys would probably still be fixtures in the championship for Fulham. But Peter, we made an awful lot of signings in the summer and Fulham's transfer business was hugely contentious. There was a lot of arguments on Twitter and on this podcast and we were all very angry, particularly after that Aston Villa game, that we hadn't made defensive recruits. You look at the team now and... I've seen a few people on Twitter saying, you know, is it a dirty thing to say to praise Tony Khan for some good transfers? And ultimately, I think that you have to praise the signings that were made, that the signings of Anderson and Adebayo and Ariola and many, many more have been fantastic. So I, I wanted to get everyone's thoughts now that there's been a few months for them to bed in and we enter another transfer window, kind of what the overall rating was of those summer buys from Fulham?
3: Yeah, I, I sort of come into that myself and, and you know, from the outside, if you see what I mean, and, and I've seen the sort of contention around it. And, um, obviously Tony overseas is, has control of recruitment, um, at the club. Um, but I, I mean, I, I wrote on it this week about the summer transfers and, you know, I think when you actually assess the, the business they did, they did really, really good business. I don't, I don't, don't really say. Don't really see how you couldn't make that case. I mean, there, yeah, there, there are a couple of things. Obviously, we haven't seen Terence Congolo, and maybe we haven't seen the best of Loftus Cheek yet, but I am sure he will improve. Um, and then there is Anthony Knockhart as well, with the the uh, obligation to buy based on appearances, um, which you can definitely make a case was was a bit expensive for someone his age. And um, although you know, maybe if, if Fulham was still in the Championship, he could be really very much an asset if they were trying to push for promotion. If it didn't work out um but yeah and, and then you actually assess that the players they did bring in and uh, you know we can we can see the quality that, that that they've added to the team quite clearly premier league standard um very very cheap as well um kenny Teta was three million um anthony robinson 1.9 Tosin adorabayo uh 1.5 rising to two um I mean, you, <laughs> it's very, very impressive business. And, I, and, you know, fundamentally, regardless of everything, you, you, you base it on that. And it's, it's, you know, there's no denying that the, that business has helped Fulham, has helped improve the team. And yeah, absolutely, Scott Parker has been central. But there's no, you can't, there's no, this isn't saying it's one or the other. You know, you, you, it's both. You need both. You need everyone singing and pulling in the same direction. And, and Fulham have had that. They've had the right recruits and they've had the right manager to mould them into a good team. Um, now, we're still quite early, so we can't be like, well, this is you know, fantastic, brilliant stuff that's it's going to keep them in the league. But it's given them a, fan- a really clear bedrock. A, you know, they've, they've all bought into the team uh, and have pushed on. And we can see it in the performances, especially since those first opening games, which felt quite chaotic, felt defensively quite open. And it didn't feel like the team had the quality to compete in the Premier League. Now, obviously last year, Fulham finished fourth um and you're then building on a on a team that had you know that had done so well to achieve promotion and wasn't exactly a weak championship team either you know there was some real quality in there there was some big investment that had gone into that team too um but it became clear quite quickly that without that adjustment period with with that tight turnaround as well which we have to factor in you know 6 weeks since the playoff finals to start of the season only 4 weeks of actual pre-season um it, you can almost Make a case to excuse the early results, even with or without the late recruitment. And you know there were ex- you know the exterior factors with regarding that late recruitment as well, um, which which Tony himself put out on Twitter and on that crazy night after the Villa game where tensions were really quite high and it wasn't particularly nice. Um, but I guess going back to the point about rooting for a different Fulham, I yeah I can definitely see that. You can definitely see that. You know the the you know the guys who now don't feature. I mean, Steph Hansen and Kevin McDonald aren't registered in the squad at all. Josh Onomar as well is not registered. Um, obviously injury played a part in that, but, um, TC hasn't been playing every week. Uh, Alexandra Mitrovic hasn't been playing pretty much every week. Um, and in in essence, really the business in terms of numbers isn't overly different to two years ago. Uh, in terms of success, you know, you know in, in terms of learning from the mistakes that were made two years ago, um, that's been, that's been pretty clear. And then it's, I guess it's the balance, isn't it? Um, you know, do, how, what do we, what do, what do Fulham want here? Did, you know, bear in mind when, <laughs> when we were going through that period at the end of towards the end of the transfer window, there was a real clamoring to get these recruits in to make the teams successful. And I'm pretty sure if they hadn't, this debate would be completely different. And in that sense, you know, how, how do you win here? Like how can, how can Tony can't win? How, how he can't really. Um, but when, if we are to just sit down and assess the business that Fulham did in the summer and, and consider that it was very, very good, now whether that you know means that some players that have been very loyal to you know have given years of service and um, could still be playing now if they hadn't gone up, you know that's that's a different thing, and I guess that's that's part of football as well. Um, and yeah, I mean. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because of the the emotional side to it and with the, with, the, with the players that aren't now involved and that's, that's been difficult.
1: I mean, Jack, 12 players came in all barring. One of those has been probably a good purchase. That one was Anthony Knockhart, which as, as Peter said, was, was like an obligation to buy because of the amount of appearances he made. And I, I think the, the debate around Tony and whether it, this summer was a success Sometimes it's what you does determine as success. Do I think that Tony is the greatest director of football to ever live? No, I still think there's massive flaws there. But also, would I take Fulham making great signings every summer in return for a director of football that I don't personally always agree with? Maybe. I think... Fulham fans maybe have to decide what they want. Do they want a director of football that they like or do they want a director of football that makes good signings?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's... this summer's business was has been excellent i'm going to be straight up with you there's there's a couple of things yes the knock deal i think that's um, like a, a part of naiv- a naivety on some part but at the end of the day still a player that, that contributed towards that push to the the, the the premier league and and ultimately maybe that obligation to buy was was naive but okay you know it was but the the money that has been gained from getting into the Premier League as opposed to being in the championship, does that cover the costs of paying the extra bit of money for for Tony Knockout? Maybe it does. And and I think that when you look at it in in that kind of context, maybe things are shifted out of shape a little bit. Now, I think there are some excellent bits of business done this summer. You know, I think there are some where the jury is still out, especially Terence Congolo. You know, while this is a good signing on paper and he's someone that we, we're we excited to see more of, it's still one of those things where with the amount of injuries he's had and, and the fact that he's still on the treatment table, I think you have to look at that and say that we can't be giving a positive net to that just yet. Uh, I think that would be naive. I think it would be harsh. And, and I think that you can't say that that's been a success yet. I would say similar with Kenny Tete because while his performances when he has played have been excellent, we've you know, seen a player who's, who's got himself injured quite badly straight away. And that's that's not necessarily bad, you know, anything but bad luck. But at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that we're we're going to struggle a little bit with, with filling that gap. And so I think on the whole, this business has been excellent. I think you look at someone like Lamina with the clause that we buy him if we stay up. That's great business. I think if you look at Anderson, and we've spoken about this in, you know, in the past on this podcast, that we think that Anderson might be able to you know, it, it might be able to make things happen. And and in in regards to if that becomes a permanent signing, I think that's a great bit of business. I think Tosin Adrobayo is a great bit of business. You know, yes, Ruben Loftus-Cheek hasn't quite set the world on fire yet, but ultimately he's someone who we know has talent. And uh, you, even if, you know, even if that signing doesn't come off, I think if you have the opportunity to take Ruben Loftus-Cheek on, on deadline day, you take him. He's, you know, a player of quality, a player of caliber, a player who's shone in this division before. And and we were able to make that addition. I think that you can't really look at that and be like bad business. Um and and then I think you look at someone like Harrison Reed, who's obviously in and out of the team. If if Harrison Reed hadn't been purchased this summer, I genuinely think there might have been a riot. Like it was <laughs> it, it was one of those things that just had to get over the line from everybody's, you know, everybody's different elements of things. And and with all that said, I think it's been a successful window. And Look, when you when you look at the players, and I think it's it's a bit harsh. You go back to that point, right, that that was made about supporting a different Fulham, and 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 yes, it's not the romantic dream that we all wanted it to be. You know, yes, it's not Joe Bryan whacking in free kick after free kick in the Premier League, um, and and I would love nothing more than to see that. But ultimately, we've bought well; those players have usurped the players from last year because you know ultimately they're more equipped to play at this level. We haven't had the struggles of gelling as much as we have, you know, years ago. And I think the only criticism you can lay at the door is the the fact that it was delayed till a deadline day before a lot of these got through the door. But I also think you look at that and, and you think, as Peter said, you know, you have the all the external factors that amount to that and the fact that you can't get some of these deals done until those final days of the window if you want to get value out of them. And and with all that in mind, I think it's a job well done this summer. I think, especially with even with the the late deadline thing, you you look at how little time Fulham had between playoff final and start of the season. And yes, we'd have liked to get players through the door earlier, but ultimately we've done what we needed to do in the window available. And and there isn't much more you can ask, I don't think. Can I? I'll just chip in a bit there as well, just with the the le- delayed thing. I think.
3: There is two sides to it, isn't there? Because obviously, if you do your business early, it gives you more time to prepare. It gives the players time to adjust, and that's that is a benefit. It is a benefit, and and you could even potentially say, well, maybe Fulham don't start as as poorly as they did. But at the same time, you don't, but you don't get another buy for one and a half million. It just doesn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. You don't, you don't, you don't get your Anderson on loan. So that that's that's the the margin, isn't it? Do you do you wait for the quality or do you go quickly and then maybe not have that quality? And then suddenly it's a different debate. It's like, well, players they bought in aren't very good. It's poor, poor outlay again. And, 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 you know, I think there's definitely two sides to that. And and bear in mind that the the whole circumstances of this summer, which we mentioned before, it makes it very difficult. Um, one, one of the criticisms that has also been been thrown about the, about how Fulham, uh, did their summer work was with, were the loans, especially the loans that don't have options to buy. Um, which, which I can, I, which I do understand. On the one hand, especially when you look at someone like Anderson or someone like Lookman, especially and the quality he has. Um, but then again, <laughs> the other side of it is, I mean, if the if the if the parent clubs aren't going to give you an option to buy, um, then do you just not take the player? Um, and then you look at it from a more holistic perspective in terms of where are Fulham going here? Can we be realistic about this? We've had a, a five week. Turnaround time? Are we going to be ready to the Premier League? Is there a chance we go straight back down? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, I asked Scott Parker about this specifically in terms of recruitment last month. You know, was there this sort of thinking when you're when you're having these discussions when you're in those meetings with Tony Khan that w- where are we going and w- are we are we thinking longer term here? Because bear in mind the, the fees that Fulham paid last time. You're looking at Jean Seri, um, Andre Frank Anguisa as well these are still being paid now. So if you did the same thing again, not that it would probably have been possible because of financial fair play limitations. Um, uh, even though they've been sort of relaxed at the moment, it gets very, very complicated. Um, you, you couldn't really do that again, uh, this summer. And you couldn't really do that if the team went down because then you've suddenly got quite a, quite a big burden there. Um, so the, the fact that they have these loans does give them real flexibility. Uh, and the ones, and so the ones that do have options to buy like Olorena and like Mara Lamina, which is a really good deal, that one. um, is a real bonus as well and I, I you're not going to get everything you know but it's, it's a newly promoted team into the Premier League that's had the tight turnaround, around and you're not, you're not going to get the dream scenario but I think in terms of the hand that was done it while it absolutely was not perfect I think it was very very good and you only have to compare it to say West Brom to see how they have fared having spent quite a little bit of money on individuals that are going to take some time to adapt and have probably taken a little bit longer to adapt to the Premier League than Fulham's new recruits and suddenly you think okay actually do you know what they've done very very well here and I don't think you can see it in any in any other way.
1: No, I guess the only thing for me, maybe the squad management hasn't been terrific and 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 the fact that we do have a very bloated squad and we have people like Johansson and McDonald sitting on the sidelines isn't great and I can't imagine it's fantastic for team morale and I imagine there's quite a few Fulham players that were part of the promotion team who are sitting around at Motspur Park feeling very very hard done by but I think also that is a consequence of the short window and the short summer that basically Fulham were so prioritized on getting players in they didn't have a lot of time to think about players Going out, and um, you wrote an article earlier, Peter, or you were part of an article which was uh, sensible transfers for Fulham, and you know you were looking at some players who could come in and improve us, and one of those was, was Josh King. But a lot of it was focused on who will be going out because the squad is bloated, isn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right, Sammy. I think that's that's also one of the the areas you'd look at and think this it's not ideal. It makes it very difficult for for Parker in terms of managing these people. He seems like a an excellent man manager and being able to be very straight and upfront with people. I think Stef Johansson, I think he spoke to a Norwegian paper about that uh, as well. And be just being very clear and said, look, this is why I'm doing it. Um, but you, when you have those players who aren't involved, who aren't registered, you know, you look at Josh Onoma now, he's back, he's fit. He'll, he'll be desperate to try and get back into that that setup. And we know that Parker likes him too. Um, you can't you can't keep operating with a squad this big. Um, so that's, that's why, you know, in, in that piece I sort of outline what, what, the, what January would ideally look like. Now, there's no guarantee that the clubs are going to take these players now because because of the climate we're in. You know, we're, you know, It seems to be fluid, it changes all the time and the financial implications for clubs, not just here, but also in Europe. Um, it makes shifting those players much harder and, and shifting them for the fees you'd probably want even harder too. It's also been a blessing in another sense because for someone like Andre Frank i'm pretty sure that you know in a a different climate you're going to have some big interest in him and because he is so well liked and i think that will come eventually anyway i don't know if it will happen in january but if he continues his his form i mean that's it's almost inevitable really um but then but that sort of worked in fulham's favor if you see what i mean in the summer because they've been able to keep him um so it's it's not easy but i think that that's why the you know for january that's got to be more of a more of a focus i think in terms of where Fulham could probably uh, recruit, I think, you know, we've we've talked about it before in terms of, I think we talked about it last week, actually, when we talked about the alternative to, to Mitrovic. And I know Jack mentioned Divock Origi, who's, a, who's a really interesting shout. and I think Wolves are looking at him. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mentioned Josh King as well, because he's, you know, he's, his contract's running out and maybe he'd be more cost effective. Um, cost is obviously key because if Fulham go down as I was mentioning before you've got to watch financial fair play and you can't be going out there and spending 30-40 million I just don't think that's realistic especially at the moment you know especially with with relegation still very much a possibility um, there's, there's a balance there so you've got it would have to be another cute signing and it's very difficult to sign a good forward uh, on 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 the money that Fulham have, have sort of you know if we if we take the precedent from the summer to do that again you know at this point would be difficult so you're looking at a loan and um, if Fulham can get one in then then great but I don't think that's going to be the priority not with players who not only aren't even registered but players who aren't even getting minutes you know people like Maxime Lamarche and niskin Cabano as well
2: I'd love to see us take a gamble this time round I'd love to see us just take a, you know, look at, I think we need a kind of right winger slash forward, someone who can kind of play in both those areas. And look, the chat is always going to be around the likes of, of Josh King, of Adam Armstrong, who to be fair, 0.77 goals and per 90 this season uh, for Blackburn's been exceptional. But I think he's going to cost you a massive premium because he's in the championship. He's English. People have heard of him. I'd love, I'd love Fulham to gamble. And I know this isn't everybody's cup of tea, right? And I appreciate that it's not just something that you can you can go out and do and expect to work every time. But there's a couple of people who I just think Fulham would take a, be a, a real punt on would be great. You know, a, a Sylvester van der from Heracles or a Roman Juremchuk from, from Ghent. And you look at their numbers this season, you know, Juremchuk is a right winger who can play through the middle. He, he's, he's a player that 25 years old. He's not going to cost you an absolute fortune. He'd be four or five million, I think. And, you know, he's on 0.63 goals a game and 0.2, 0.2 assists a game in, in Belgium and playing for Ghent. I, I think someone like this would be a sensible move you know someone who's not going to cost the world but might be worth a go gives us rotation options gives us different ways to go and and I think that Fulham could just you know if if fire up that machine that that looks at the different elements of things and, and sees if we could get someone who is able to play off the right who's able to duck inside because I think that's where we're starting to lose a little bit going into this final kind of point
1: yeah so I did a tweet on Fulhamish earlier and i asked what position should be fulham's top priority in the january transfer window and and pretty much every answer was around the the center forward michael cox says center forward if not right winger however it's much nicer to be in a position where we want depth over a starting player um swin saurian says a pacey striker who can also play on the wing um Alex says Cav is by far our weakest link in our starting 11. So someone who can play out wide and up front would solve a lot of issues for us. So I think Jack, the two players you mentioned completely fit that bill, but I guess Peter, that's why everyone is also looking at Josh King because he also so perfectly fits that bill.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, maybe less so playing on that right wing, which is the, you know, that's quite clearly the side that, that Fulham probably need to need to strengthen. I just, I, I, there, there are other contexts to this obviously you know especially with the situation with covid um are you going to get a foreign player coming into the country at the moment you know that it becomes a bit more tricky um mm. and there's a brexit criteria as well which is very complicated the new point system where the players can can meet that for the fees that we that fulham would want to pay uh and the thing is if you're if the other side to it is you probably as much as i would like to say oh, i'll be great to have squad depth but realistically considering the squad that Fulham already have you're going to need to bring in some kind of quality and to do that you're going to need to pay some kind of premium and that's that's where the margins are really quite narrow and I'm, I'm sure it'd be, it'd be lovely to bring in some some players that you know that can they're almost untested and can hit the ground running but it's very difficult to adapt to the Premier League especially as a forward and um, and we, we, we've seen that with Fulham this season as well um, with the players have come come back up so it's I, don't, I almost sound like the the, the Grinch at Christmas. <laughs> I think people have uh, no. we've had enough misery at the moment, and I, I agree. It'd be lovely to say, "Oh, do you know what? This this super sign is going to happen in, in in January." But <laughs> maybe I've maybe just given
2: Jack you can you can be Santa. You can take all the, the you know, yeah, the nice yeah just giving out giving out presents to films right business. wing. <laughs> I mean, no. No, I mean, if that's all the criteria, just go and bang twenty million on Emmy Buendia and be done with it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's um He is quite the talent and does play off that right wing.
1: One player that is right sided, um, not necessarily really through the middle, but isn't getting a game. And lots of people mentioned him in that tweet that I posted is Damari Gray. And Mm. if there was possibility of a loan, I feel like we could do a lot worse. I mean, I remember him ripping Fulham to shreds five years ago when he was uh, in his debut season at Birmingham and he was pretty good then. I imagine he's still pretty good now, even though he hasn't had a lot of minutes lately.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I think that would be a very sensible pickup. But again, if that happens, are we going to get more of, oh, these players aren't our own players? You know, it's the, how how far do you take it, right? The, it, there's there's so many different elements to, to that. And and I find it, you know, you can't really win in some reasons because if we brought in a Damare Gray, instead of buying someone our own, we brought him in on loan, we'd get the whole, oh, we don't develop other people's players thing, right? So there are <laughs> elements of this that make a rod for your own back. But I would love to see Damare Gray in, in a film shirt, yeah. Just with that,
3: you know, is there not a sense that you know, it's a means to an end? You know, bear yeah, in mind agree you know, with the problem yeah. have just come up. I mean, look, I do understand you don't want to be, you know, doing the hard work for for other teams. But I mean, just with just like realistically, when you consider everything, uh, a loan deal makes the most sense in, in January. The timings, the the, the type of player you're probably going to be able to get, the cost, the risk of relegation. It just it they make sense. And I, I, while I do appreciate the argument, and I know it's because you. you they're not your player you, you don't own them they're not then you, you you naturally question commitment and and, and things like that but uh, I, I just means to an end comes to mind because if you can if you can get the player and it gives you that extra bit of quality that extra that extra option going forward then suddenly you know the summer you're still in the premier league and then you can look in that direction it may not be that player but then maybe with a little bit more of a longer term hat you think okay now we can start to to try and build and and try and progress a little bit um but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just chipped in
1: on the loan thing. No, no, no. I think it's all fair enough. Well, look, if you want more on um, potential transfers that Fulham can make and also Peter's article looking back at Fulham summer signings, uh, do make sure you look at The Athletic and Peter's articles on The Athletic. If you'd like to subscribe, go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Right afterwards, we're going to do a Southampton preview. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. Welcome back. Part three. And we're going to have a quick look at Southampton. Uh, Jack is going to be speaking to Sam Tai, who is a writer for Southampton. And I'm sure you'll also know uh, Sam from uh, Jack's other podcast, Ranks FC. Uh, that that OK podcast that uh, you can yeah, right, subscribe mate. to on uh, on all platforms. Um, lads, big game this weekend. And with Anderson back, it's looking a lot healthier for Fulham. Uh from Southampton point of view two big absentees for them Danny Ings doesn't look like he'll be making the match and Ori Romeo definitely won't be playing um, because he's picked up five yellow cards so is suspended for, for this one Jack that is a massive boost for Fulham
2: yeah absolutely um, I mean the danger man for me still Che Adams I think this season he's been the one to watch and and the fact that Ings has scored so many goals I think covers the fact that Che that Adams has been electric um, he's been the man kind of creating he's dropped deeper he's not just been the channel run than what we knew at Birmingham but he has become you know that player to watch at Southampton but yeah I mean look, they're an incredibly well drilled well organized squad by Hassan Uh if you remember correctly Sammy he was the man I said that Fulham should get in when we actually took in Claudio Ranieri and a week later Southampton signed uh, Ralph Hassan so that was that was disappointing but um, mm-hmm. you know one of those, those managers who, who's just done an excellent job and and, and Southampton are a real force. They are two big misses for them, absolutely no doubt. But I have, I have kind of zero faith that uh, the Hassan who won't be able to plug those gaps effectively.
1: Yeah, Peter, their their side is packed full of quality. You've also got Gineppo and Walcott on the wings and they've got such a solid defence as well. Bednarek and Vestergaard is a a great centre-back partnership. And you just know that some of these players are going to be playing um, for for top four clubs in, in, in years to come because Southampton are proven club for bringing in great players, developing them and then selling them for a huge fee. Uh, they've done so well at, at kind of maintaining their status to in the Premier League and, and Fulham could do well to, to emulate a side like Southampton.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the quality through the squad, the way they develop players and the way they've all bought into the way Hasenhutl wants them to play. I mean, we've seen that sort of evolve over the last two years and credit to them really for sticking by Hasenhutl after, you know, the 9-0 last year and the criticism that followed and, and since then they've just gone really from from strength to strength and what's been interesting about them this year is you know their goals are much more spread out in the team now they were quite reliant on Ings last year we got about I think it's 22 he scored last year but you know their goals are spread for the team Adams as, as Jack was outlining has already hit his total for last year they showed him faith you know that that same you know he, he did, <laughs> there was a lot of pressure on him getting that first goal but it, it's taken him a while but now he's adding so much to them Ward Prowse is, is, is prolific his set pieces are so dangerous um, you've got players chipping in. Walcott's been a really good addition as well. I think he only brought him in for experience, but he's he's been excellent for them too. So they're a team of real quality, but those two misses, Romeo are absolutely vital in midfield, absolutely vital in, in his role in just breaking play up, being a pain, getting yellow cards. Um, he's, he's accumulated too many for the Fulham game. So Fulham have lucked out a bit there. Uh, and then obviously losing Ings, that's, that's, a, that's a big blow if he, if he doesn't feature. So the week-long break's good. Um, you probably might want to face Southampton in the tighter tight game turnarounds because of the way they play and their their pressing football. But I think it will be a big, big test for Fulham. You know, Southampton look like they've gone up a level since last year, and um, this game will be tricky. And then obviously with, with Tottenham after that, you know, these are these are tough games. But I think Spurs, you know, they, you know, after their defeat at the weekend, you know, maybe they they could be maybe there could be a vulnerability there. But um, another really t- uh, tricky test.
1: I mean, Jack, um, we brought in Mitrovic, Kearney and Lamina uh, for the Newcastle game. Lamina won't play, of course, because uh, Southampton is his parent club.
2: But do we expect to see Mitrovic and Kearney keep their places? Um, Yeah, I think Mitrovic in particular will. Um, I'm not sure if, if TC will be part of that rotation, but I think Mitrovic will. Um, and and we'll see. Really, I mean, it's going to be a hell of a battle for him if he does start with with Vestergaard and Bednarek. It's it's no light aerial battle, you'd imagine. Mm. But um, but yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see both. You know, make a make a claim for their place, and and hopefully, if if they do, if we do rotate, then it's you know a continuation of what we see. Part of me would like to see Rüben cheek play in the middle. Um, yeah, the base of the midfield with Angisa where I think he might thrive. But um, I'm equally wary of it, given his form so far this season. Is it also
3: just um, mentioned Vestergaard there, Jack? I mean, it's quite a nice little Danish dynamic there. They've got so many options at the national team level. And Vestergaard's form is another He's another player who's, who's stepped up this point. You know, he's got a big frame, big height but really has become an integral figure at the back. And with Anderson back, it's quite nice having the two there. Anderson will be eager to get back into the Denmark setup. I know that's something that he will really want to target while he's he's here in the Premier League. So um, nice sort of uh, tete-a-tete, I guess, between the two.
1: And Harrison Reed, of course, against his former club. So I imagine Hatch he'll be- incoming. Yeah, he'll be desperate to get back on the pitch as well. Right. I'm uh, going to cross over to Jack now, who earlier spoke to Southampton writer Sam Ty to
2: get a lowdown on the Boxing Day match. Hello and welcome to Fulhamish's preview of the Southampton game on Boxing Day. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is my friend and Southampton programme writer, Mr. Sam Tai. Sam, how are
0: you doing, mate? I'm good, but you know, as a Southampton employee part time, I need to pull you up on the use of the word "program." Officially at the club, it's called the Match Day Magazine, Jack, and you should know that because you you just said that we're friends. Yeah, I, I should know that,
2: but unfortunately, here we are, um, and this is the, it's the season. Um, look, Southampton are doing unprecedentedly well, and and you did predict this before the season. But I mean, what's the what's the secret? What's the
0: secret sauce? Oh, it's basically just it's the manager. I mean. You know, we've actually just come off a weekend in which we've been talking about how someone like Marcelo Bielsa, although they obviously lost 6-2, the secret behind his success and Leeds' rise is this expansive style of football that he coaches and how he gets much more out of individual players via a superior system than he would otherwise. And you've got so many players in that Leeds team that were like mid-table championship players, you know, Stuart Dallas, Luke Ayling, guys that if they paid for any other manager, they wouldn't be anywhere near as good, frankly. And Hasan Hotel and Southampton is pretty much the same scenario. They have uh, they play a very quirky, very interesting, quite unique style of football. It is, of course, Gagan pressing four four two, high energy, high octane. It is that kind of Jurgen Klopp's younger brother, but ultimately it is its own twist as well. And they are so in sync now with what their manager wants after well just over two years in the job. They understand their roles and responsibilities and some of the football is just automatic and that is why they're so good. It's because they're so well conditioned and they are playing to a greater level than they're really able to individually because the manager has coached them so particularly well. So two big losses in in that kind of
2: regard in that Danny Ings appears to be injured and we don't think we're going to see him feature and perhaps maybe weirdly more importantly, which sounds like a mad thing to say against a man who scores so many goals, but kind of the, a key to the, the Saints engine room and the real reason that that pierre Emile Heuberg hasn't been hugely missed this season, Oriol Romeo has been excellent and he's suspended. How big a blow will that be?
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't think we'd be in this position, to be honest with you. I mean, I was looking at the central midfield slot next to James Ward-Prowse in the summer and thinking Southampton could do with an upgrade on Romeo here. They could do with getting someone better than Romeo. They need to do that if they want to look at a Europa League charge. So to see Romeo just step in and perform above and beyond expectations, this is the best football I think I've ever seen Oriol Romeo play. Um, He and James Ward-Prowse have started all 14 league games together so far. They haven't skipped a beat. So this is the first time this season with Southampton in this kind of ascendancy, we're going to see the central midfield duo changed. So it is going to be quite an important yardstick as to what happens. It may well highlight just how important Oriol Romeo is. It may prove that someone like Ibrahima Diallo who was signed in the summer as the depth option is ready for that step up. We'll have to see. We have seen Diallo so infrequently, like 15 minutes off the bench here, 10 minutes there. He played left back for 10 minutes at one point. He is a central midfielder and he's a good all action central midfielder. I think we just haven't seen this partnership yet. So yeah, we, you know, we've already missed Danny Ings for uh, about a month or so. Basically the entirety of November Southampton were lacking him and what did they do to cope? Well, Theo Walcott stepped in. Gineppo came in on the left. Redmond chipped in with the goals. Walcott and Adams was a really nice give-and-go partnership. And Walcott's an intelligent footballer, probably more intelligent than you give him credit for. So he came in. He understood the system. In fact, I've never seen a player grasp Ralph's system as quickly as Theo Walcott has, which is the highest compliment I can pay him. And he stepped in and played with Adams really well. So you are right in saying that despite Ings being probably the best player on this team, pound for pound, They'll miss Romeo more because of the familiarity. Yeah, I mean,
2: big step up here for Diallo because you know he's he's had a, a couple of games and he hasn't had too many minutes, shall we say? I think something like twenty-two odd minutes. Yeah, I mean, something like that he's come on um, But he played a fair amount in liga last year for for brest and he he really did shine in that system and there were a couple of suitors for his services and uh, southampton won that race and i think a lot of people expected him to come in and and really push romeo a bit more and and so i suppose an opportunity for him
0: as much as anything else I guess so. I mean, this is this is assuming it is, in fact, Diallo playing because you never quite know uh, with Ralph and what he sees. And obviously, we saw towards the end of last season we saw players like Will Smallbone step up from the academy and play. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be Smallbone, but also he can just pluck a name out of somewhere. Um, and you never know. still, Armstrong might centre, uh, might, might might move into the centre a little bit and play next to War Prowse. Although I would imagine that probably puts too much of a leash on what Armstrong can do in terms of drifting in from that right side, playing in the half space and. Really committing markers into difficult situations. Armstrong's ghosting movements are really his strongest trait in this Southampton team, along with the fact that he can produce in front of goal as well. So to take, put him into the centre, I'm not sure that's the answer. So I think it's going to be Diallo, and it is a huge opportunity for him. It's a chance for him to show us what he can do. What I saw at Brest was someone who was pretty all action, very fast for a centre mid, which was a bit strange. Very very fast, but a nice soft touch, good passing range good tracking runners, a disciplined and sensible player. So let's see what he's, let's see what he's capable of, I guess, is, is the answer. Fulham have improved in the
2: last couple of games. I think that's fair for anyone to say. And I think given the, the opening to the season we had against Arsenal and Villa and where it all looked a little bit dire straits to begin with, it's been a, a huge relief in some ways over the last few games to see Fulham's improved performances. How can Fulham hurt this Southampton
0: side? Yeah, it's been a relief because I have to spend quite a lot of time with you and um, you were absolutely miserable for like a month. So um, it's been quite nice to see Fulham step it up a little bit. Thank you very much to Andre Frank, Zambo and Gisa. Thank you very much to Joachim Anderson for stepping it up and making my friend Jack just a little bit happier and therefore making my week just a little bit easier. Uh, The truth is it's quite difficult to get at this Southampton side in any one particular way. But what they do seem to do, and there's no real consistency to this. I'm not saying that there's a particular weakness on the left or the right or they struggle from set pieces. I can't really tell you a specific area in which they struggle. But what I can tell you is they don't really keep many clean sheets and they, they tend to give you a goal. Now, the problem Southampton probably have the most is they start really strong. They start so strong and they try and take an assertive grip on the game. They try to get an early goal. And what they're struggling with at the moment is once they go one up, they've got a case of the Man City jitters to a point. It's when they go one and up, they go, okay, we need to get a second goal really quick. We need to kill this game off. We need to kill this game off. And they're not quite that you know, blunt force trauma attack that you would actually ask for, really, to be able to just go, right, one, two, three, done, and you're out and kill the game. They can't seem to do that. And they get a little bit nervous when they're one nil up and they're in the ascendancy and they know they should be killing the game. And what they've been tending to do is they've been giving teams an avenue back into the game. They beat Sheffield United 3-0, but they went one up and they wobbled a little bit. Sheffield United had a couple of chances and they had the opportunity. It was about 15-minute window to take advantage of that and get back in the game. And then you don't know what's coming. Arsenal was the same. They took the lead. They looked so much better. Had this little wobble. Arsenal got back in the game and they only drew one all. And they're disappointed to draw that game. But really, they're just playing against themselves mentally here. Sorry. <laughs> so- as much about how Arsenal
2: have fallen as it does about how Southampton have ascended.
0: I mean, massively, yeah. As a, a definitely a tale of two different clubs there. But they seem to be playing against themselves mentally when they take a one-goal lead at this point. And they take one-goal leads pretty damn regularly at the moment. They're a very good side and they have to be treated as such. They just have to remain calm and steel themselves and manage games a little bit better. And they do tend to just give you that 15-minute window and that's where a team pounces.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's obviously a big miss of Fulham in, the, in that Mario Lamina won't be able to play against his parent club um, because in the last few games, we've seen him hugely step up. This was a transfer that surprised a lot of people, right? It was kind of thrown in as, as almost like a freebie with the Harrison Reed deal, which everyone was expecting to go through. And then suddenly Fulham had, had signed Mario Lamina as well. He's a player who has been up and down and his Southampton career was kind of, not marred, I would say, but was riddled with inconsistency and that some games he looked like a world beater and others he, he didn't look like he was interested. But it's a fresh start for Fulham and he seems to have pounced on that.
0: Well, good for him. I mean, like, I don't think Saints knew what to do with it, really. I, if you look at his raw traits, that physicality and that box-to-box nature of his, and he's got that explosiveness to his game as well when he skips out of a challenge and goes, you know, I've accused him of playing, playing, you know almost to build his own highlights reel after the game you know because he does do that doesn't he? he posts his own youtube videos um of his of his fantastic turns and win and, and 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 swirls and tornadoes and i did once think that he was more interested in the compilation video afterwards than the actual performance itself that's maybe a little bit harsh but that's that's kind of where we got to him uh you know in terms of judging him because he wasn't consistent at all and he did look pretty disinterested at times but He's very talented. Like You don't end up on the books of Juventus if you're not very, very good at football. And it doesn't always click for players 100% all the time mentally. And maybe, uh, what, he must be like 27 now. Uh, Lamina finally mentally is kind of clicking into gear a little bit. And if that ever happens, if he finds consistency, we're all in trouble. Because he's actually probably got more natural talent than most of the players on both of these teams combined.
2: Yeah. I mean, all Andre, Frank, Zambo, and are aside, you'd assume. I mean, I'll let you go, Sam.
0: But just to uh, just to finish this off, how do you see this one shaking out? Well, Southampton are very, very difficult to beat. So I'm afraid I'm not going to pander to the audience and come and be like, ah, Fulham can get something out of this game. I mean, maybe they can get a point, but I think Southampton will win it. I do. I think they'll put. I think they'll put enough pressure on, and they'll play with such an intensity that they will end up winning this game. I apologize Jackal. Uh but I'm going to go for 2-1 two, to Saints. What do you think? Uh I
2: think this will be a draw to continue Fulham's excellent run of draws. Um I'm going to go one all. Um but I'm actually potentially most interested in the uh the head to head between two big Danish center backs. Now that you're <laughs> Card has been rescinded. He will uh, finally get to play against his countryman Yannick Vestergaard, and in that, I'm, you know, I'm excited to watch them watch them go toe to toe, if you will. Although probably tête à tête is a is a more regular comparison, especially at set pieces.
0: Yeah, but only at set pieces, I'd imagine. But Vestergaard, just one of the one of the true like positive stories from Southampton, a coaching success story. If anybody claims to have seen this coming from Vestergaard, I will show you a liar. <laughs> because for three years, he's been rubbish. And yet this season, he looks like Danish Maldini. I don't get it. The raking passes, the, the vision, the two-footedness, the defensive astuteness, the last-ditch tackles, the, the covering the channels. I don't know where it's come from, but he has been so, so good. And those James Ward-Prowse set pieces, guys, if I could just give you one piece of advice, do not give away free kicks within 35 yards of goal. They are basically penalties to Southampton. So be careful.
1: Well, thank you very much to Jack and Sam for that lowdown on all things Saints ahead of the Boxing Day game. I always hate this time of year because you naturally want to say days of the week, but between Christmas and New Year, days of the week just go out the window. So you just have to start. Boxing Day is a Saturday, mate. You're good. I know it is a Saturday, but you just forget, don't you? And then there's the 30th. What's that, a Thursday? Like it all, you just get so messed up and particularly at the moment where every day feels the same at the moment in uh, in Tier Four or lockdown or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's hard to get by, but anyway, I'm rambling on for no apparent reason. So there will be a podcast after the Southampton game, looking back at that Boxing Day match, and fingers crossed, Fulham can do the business and get a much needed three points, and hopefully that might take us out of the relegation zone. It's all got uh, a little bit more heated after Burnley's recent form, so we'll be looking to pull uh, our fellow relegation rivals, Brighton and Arsenal, into the mix. So, uh, Jack, thank you very much for being on the pod today. Thank you, Sammy. And Peter, thank you for being on the pod today. Thank
3: you, Sammy. Sorry, I ended up being more of a Grinch today with my with my transfer pessimism, but yeah, have a Merry Christmas, everybody, if you can... Hopefully, uh,
2: have a nice one. Yeah, Merry Christmas, gang. Enjoy the game and enjoy your Christmases.
1: Thank you very much. Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Hope you have a good one as possible. Come on, you whites. You whites.